Uh, we're going to talk about uh, leadership and missions. I know the, the uh, uh, book that we had talked about leadership and short-term missions, and I think that was a miscommunication because I think leadership needs to be in both short- and long-term missions, so we're going to talk about both. And try to get this, quit making noise. And this is one of the topics that I have a, a special... Hello? Wrong one. That's the problem. I guess it makes noise when it's down on your leg, so. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering where that noise is coming from. Um, And let's just dive right into it because we've got a lot of things we want to cover. Uh, who is, are these two men? There's two of them. They look a lot alike. Um, anybody know who those two people are? They were leaders. Yes, somebody said it. Well, we'll tell you in a second. Um, they, they were uh, the Mayo brothers. And uh, very interesting guys in their leadership style. They went out in the middle of Minnesota, of all places, uh, they created a lot of intervention, in, in, inventions in medicine. Uh, they were the ones that established residency programs. They were the ones that came up with the idea that we just pay physicians a salary, that we work as a group, that we have common medical records, things that we take for granted and think, uh, wow, that's just normal, was revolutionary back in those days. And, uh, okay, that's and uh, created the Mayo Clinic, which is one of the most respected institutions in the world. And um, I I think the thing I want to talk about is the difference that leadership can make in healthcare. Uh, When you talk about what are the blockages to uh, mission success, and I thought we'd start a little worm since we just went from that topic in this room, uh, small child with an intestinal blockage from roundworms, you talk about what are the blockages to mission success, and, and there, there's a lot of things. You can talk about prayer, and uh, I would very much put that at the top of the list. I think we often lack the power for what we want to do because we're not praying and other people are not praying. We can talk about the problems of personnel and the fact that we just don't have enough people uh, on the field in uh, either short-term or long-term missions, and we're always looking for uh, people. We could... Uh, talk about money. If we just had enough funds, we could be more successful in what we do in missions. Uh, We need this equipment. We need this program or whatever. But what I have observed is the biggest issue in medical missions is leadership, after those, especially after prayer. Um, You know, I was like you. I came out of my training. I had uh, excellent training. I was prepared medically. And, uh, but I had very little on leadership, and yet leadership was the key to solving the healthcare problems, the systems problems, the people problems, and being successful in missions. And um, we need to understand that. I wrote a book. I felt so strongly about this, and I've been a student of leadership for years, called Leadership Proverbs. And the reason for doing that was there's a forest of leadership books out there. You walk into any bookstore and you'll find all of them directed towards business. And uh, you think, man, how can I wade through this forest? I'm a busy physician, nurse, pharmacist, or whatever. And so what my co-author and I did went through and just 
went into the forest, tapped the richest trees, took out the, the, the sap, boiled it down into bite-sized nuggets, and we call those proverbs. They're said in a witty way, in a memorable way, trying to put in one place the key information you need to be good at leadership. And often tell folks, you know, for, for leadership vitality, take, uh, you know, one or two a day with a glass of resolve and chew well. Uh, that's the type of thing, because leadership is not something you're going to have after you walk out of this room. I hope I've got your interest and some information that's going to help you begin down that road or enhance the leadership you already have. But the sad thing in medicine is everyone thinks you're a leader because you are in medicine, and many of us are not. And when you look at doctors' practices and the problems they have, you look at mission facilities and interpersonal conflicts and the lack of getting things accomplished, it all comes down to leadership. In fact, the Bible talks about that. It says, if God has given you a leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. So this, this, this is biblical. In fact, there's a lot in Proverbs about leadership as well as other parts of the Bible, and we're going to touch on some of that. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. The Bible tells us that. This is it, the, the largest uh, type of things we can think about. Love and truth form a good leader. But sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. There are certain components of leadership, things that we need to be as individuals and things we need to do as individuals to develop our leadership abilities. Well, let me ask this question. Let's define leadership. I mean, if we want to be this, we better figure out what it is, right? What's leadership? Influence. Somebody got the best answer already. Yes. Being the chief servant. Knowing where you're going and taking others with you. Yes, knowing where you're going and taking others with you. Now, if I went, I went to my dictionary, and it, it wasn't helpful at all. The position or function of a leader, you know, leadership is being a leader. Okay, well, what's that? Ability to lead, not defined. Act or instance of leading, guidance, direction, or the leaders of a group. I mean, that really doesn't help you. And I would agree with the first statement. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence into other people's lives. Now, good leaders have loyal followers. There's somebody said that if you want to know if somebody's a leader, see if anybody's following. <laughs> and there's good leaders and bad leaders. Hitler was a great leader. Look what he did in Germany. Uh, I, I, you know, he was very charismatic. He was an excellent speaker. He uh, had fanatical loyalty. Of course, if you weren't loyal, he just eliminated you. But, uh, you know, which kind of eliminates the pool of people that oppose to you. But, uh, you know, but good leaders have loyal followers, and uh, that's a, a good way to know. So let's talk about how we can construct leadership, how we can build it in our lives. Uh, because one of the things that we often uh, think about, well, he's a natural leader. She's a natural leader. And if you're a natural leader, good. But if you're not, become a learner of leadership. And even if you're a natural leader, you can be better at it. Leadership is something you should be focused on because that gives you what? Influence into other people's lives. And that's what all of us want to do. It's not a matter that we can just do a great C-section or diagnose uh, you know, hookworm, as they were talking last session, and take care of it. Those are good things, things we should be doing. 
But the thing that brings people to Christ and puts systems in place that can share the gospel and meet health care needs is leadership. And uh, therefore, we need to be students of leadership in everything we do. Let's talk about some of the steps to leadership. And I want to share some Proverbs with you that we can kind of delve into a little bit. Uh, Real leaders bring real change. Real leaders bring real change. There's a big difference between management and administration and leadership. Both are necessary, but often people confuse the two. Um, Chamberlain, before World War II, was he a leader or administrator and manager? Remember the history? Yeah, he was a manager, an administrator. And when things are going well, that's what most people want because most people don't like change, right? And then World War II came along, and he, Chamberlain hadn't done so well, and they were going to war, and things were in crisis. And who came on the scene? Churchill. Churchill was a fantastic leader, fantastic communicator. And, and change was needed. They needed to galvanize this whole country to put them on a war footing. And things were looking terrible. And it looks like, you know, Germany was just going to run all over Europe and, and take them. And then Churchill stepped in and led change and gave hope and uh, changed the cultures. Managers tweak the system. Leaders transform it. If you have something that's, well, it's doing pretty well. We can make it a little bit better. Well, get a good manager, get a good administrator, and they can, you know, make the system work a little bit better, tweak this a little bit. But if you want to transform something, you need a leader, someone who can come in with a fresh vision that can influence people and lead them to where they need to go. Leaders are never contented with the present state of affairs. If you come to CMD and talk to my staff, they'll have certain things they'll tell you Dave is always saying. And, and I'm always saying at CMDA, there's a better way to do everything, and we're going to find it. No matter how good we get, there's a better way to do everything, and we're going to find it. I'm never going to be content with the state of affairs. What happens if you get content with the state of affairs? The world moves on, and you go behind because the world's always changing. Problems are the honing stone that sharpens the cutting edge of leadership. I tell my staff, if we didn't have problems, you wouldn't have a job. And especially in leadership, the tendency is to think, oh, my goodness, we've got this issue and problem. Problems are opportunities for change. Problems are opportunities to take you to the next level. And so the tendency that we have as individuals saying, oh, man, I just, I just don't want all these problems. We need to realize that problems are constructive. They make you think different. They make you act different. They make you have to go out and look for solutions. And that's when leadership is needed. Problems are the honing stone that sharpens the cutting edge of leadership. Leadership is needed in short-term missions. We talked that. That was the title. And I thought we'd mention this team I took to Kenya, I think it was in 2008. You think about that. We had people from a number of different tribal groups in Kenya. You see them there. We had people all over the United States came together, did not know each other, 
And we had to put together in two weeks, and so many of you have done this, bring these people together, bring unity, get the systems in place, make things work, uh, hone that and make it efficient uh, to see 3,800 patients in eight working days. You, you, you have to have those leadership characteristics. That's one of the things we do at CMDA with our global health outreach is we train our leaders uh, very carefully because if you do not have good leadership on a team, what happens? It ain't pretty. It is not pretty because you're facing challenges. You're chasing, facing new culture, new language, uh, people trying to work together, and leadership is the key in short-term missions to making this something that's going to be life-transforming for the people on that team. And it depends a lot on the quality of the leader. We see it in medicine as well. This is Dr. Ernie Sturry, who is my mentor. And Ernie was a fantastic natural leader, just charismatic, uh, someone who uh, people were drawn to, humble, uh, but an agent of change. And I you know, always think of this little four-room stone uh, block clinic. That's where he started there back in the 1950s, and that's what it is now. And uh, it was leadership. It was leadership. It wasn't that somebody came and just dumped a bunch of money. A lot of that wasn't easy. It was difficult. There was issues. There were tribal conflicts. I remember up at one of these uh, little uh, houses up in this area during tribal conflict that Ernie had to uh, stand down the mob, a drunken mob that was going to kill some staff from a different tribe. Um, he was a leader, and uh, it's so important in missions. Uh, it's important in medicine. Uh, I when I first got to Tinwick, we had so many uh, problems uh, with preventable diseases, a child with marasmus and we quashiocor and dehydration and vomiting and just plain old scabies. You ever seen a child die of scabies? You think, oh, it's just a skin rash. Yeah, you get it bad enough and they get secondary infection, get septic and die. I saw kids die of something that you can cure. And uh, how do you solve this problem with 300,000 people without newspapers, without radio, without, and this is our catchment area. And how do you organize and motivate and mobilize people uh, to practice healthcare uh, in their own homes better? And uh, how do you come up with innovative solutions? I know with this problem, you know, we use Tetmasol soap, a sulfur-based soap. People couldn't afford it. That wasn't going to be the solution for 300,000 people. And finally, we figured out you could take the local laundry detergent and a corn cob, make a slurry and scrub yourself with it and kill the scabie mite. Everybody had the local laundry soap. And that's how we pretty well wiped out scabies in our area. Uh, vitamin deficiencies. This is a lady. Anybody know what that is? Got a little dementia. She's also got a little skin rash in sun-exposed areas. She also had some diarrhea. And she only ate gimme it. Allegra. We got some old missionary hands here. They know this stuff. A lot of OB problems. All these type of things. And terrible burns and kids falling into fires and all this kind of stuff. And what was needed was leadership to organize, put together a community health program, motivate, mobilize people. I was back this summer, and there's over a 1,000 of these community health workers. The diseases we used to deal with aren't even prevalent anymore because they've been wiped out. And it wasn't that we didn't have the knowledge to do it before. We did. What, we, what was needed was the leadership to make it happen. So leadership is critical in what we're trying to accomplish. 
This is the 40-foot waterfall down below the hospital, and there's the little grist mill that's being powered uh, with grist stones. One of the early missionaries brought the first grist stones from India, all the way from India, and shipped them in and taught the people how they could grind cord without using a pedestal. And for 50 years, we thought, they thought, wow, we could have electricity for the hospital from that falls. And, uh, but how do we put that together, and how are we going to find the experts, and where are we going to get the money, and, and, and how are we going to do it out here in the bush? And uh, God, through leadership, brought the right people, brought the money, and we built, built that whole dam with a half-yard concrete mixer. We broke all the rock for it on the banks by hand with hammers because we couldn't get gravel trucks in. There were four springs under that powerhouse, and they pumped and pumped and pumped and couldn't get all the water out and finally poured the concrete underwater. You know, it was like building the pyramids. We lifted up that pinstock, and we had to make our own bulldozer and our own crane. I remember the first time we tried to live it, the whole bulldozer turned over. We got to put more people on the other end, you know, for weight. You know, those type of stories. But, you know, it was, you got people focused. We can accomplish this. It's not going to be easy. Let's work together. Uh, let's get this organized and make a difference. So leadership is worth the effort, and it can be learned. Daily devote yourself to the study of leadership, and you will develop the skills that you need to make a difference. And so it's so easy to be focused on other things, but get around leaders, find mentors that are leaders, study leadership, uh, focus on it, try to learn from every problem that you're facing. Learn how to deal with less than ideal situations and circumstances. That's part of leadership, isn't it? Leadership is easy if things great. Ask Churchill. He found that out. It wasn't great, and you had to be a leader. Leaders must learn to choose their words wisely. Our words can either bring comfort or conflict. One of the big parts of leadership is good communication, the ability to motivate and inspire people. And those things can be learned. And you learn them through practice. You learn them through observation. And students of leadership are watching other people all the time and seeing how they deal with situations and learning from them. Learn how to thrive, not just to survive, through seasons of change. And um, oftentimes we think, I just got to endure this. We just got to get through this. No, learn how to thrive in the midst of the change. If you want to stand out, learn to stick it out, no matter how difficult the situation. It's one of the big issues when you get into missions. Um, you know, when I went to the mission field, my brother-in-law told me that the most wonderful blessing in my life was going to be the other missionaries and the biggest problems in my life was going to be the other missionaries. He was right because you kind of all of a sudden have this group that you live with, play with, worship with, work with, and you don't get to pick them and you don't leave them at the end of the day. And, uh, and so the, the big thing that makes people come home from the mission field, interpersonal conflicts with other people. And often it's happening because there's not good leadership at that situation, whether it's a clinic, a community health program, a hospital, or whatever. So let's talk about some of the components of leadership. And I think one of the foundations of it is integrity. People first must respect you before they will follow you. And uh, it's living and acting righteously at all times. Now that is a, a goal that none of us will ever reach. I cannot stand up here and say, oh, I've acted righteously at all times. No, uh, but uh, it's the goal of where we're heading and what we're trying to do. Safeguard your integrity. Everything else is replaceable. We just saw that. Penn State, right? Sad, sad situation. 
and you wonder, you know, what is really going on? But, I mean, people who have been there for years and reputations and things have been tarnished uh, because of one incident. And it can happen. We can go to church groups, mission groups, and see this type of thing happening where all of a sudden leaders who have been so dynamic uh, and so influential uh, it's all destroyed in that much time. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation of integrity and a moment to lose it. A moment to lose it. That's why it's so important when you say safeguard. It's not only you safeguarding it and asking God to safeguard it, but have other people praying for you. I have people that pray for me about my integrity. And I'm so glad they do. Guard David. David's in an influential position. It would be devastating if his integrity was compromised in the lives of other people. And so we're praying for him, that that God will put his angels around him. And if you're in leadership or aspire for it, get people praying for you. Imitate a leader whose focus is on their integrity and not their image. Image Image-driven leadership is very dangerous. You know any leaders like that? I know some. And you get to them and you get close to them and you find out, it's an image. It's not them. And some, and some very prominent leaders that I've been next to in the background. And other leaders who have such humility, such, such stature, such integrity, you just want to be in their presence and bask in the glow of God in their life. And uh, so don't make the mistake as you, as you work towards an, uh, leadership is that I have to have an image I have to project now. If you go that direction, ultimately it will catch up with you. The best way to know real leaders is get close to the people that are closest to them and see what they really think of them. And it will tell you a lot about that person. Be known, another thing in integrity, be known of your undeserved generosity of time, talent, and possessions. Real leaders are not just about big things. Um, I had, did an interview, it's going to be coming out on Christian Doctor's Digest, with uh, somebody who worked at kind of mid-level in the, in the uh, Bush administration. And uh, he was caught plagiarizing. He was writing articles for his hometown paper in Indiana and got a call from a reporter one day and said, you know, is this plagiarism? I've seen this written somewhere else. And to his credit, Christian man, to his credit, he said, you're right, I, I was just pushing so hard and trying to look good and, you know, all this type of thing. And he, talk, he talked in the interview. It was very interesting. Uh, he resigned immediately and was moved out of the White House. And President Bush, uh, it's not a political statement. This is the story he told me. President Bush asked him to come to the Oval Office the next day and met with him. And even though it had harmed his administration's image, he forgave him, and then he said this. I, I was amazed. He said, could you bring your family in next week? He had two, three young boys. And he got his family in there and said, I want you to know how good a man your dad is. Because of, he made this mistake, but he's fessed up to it and, and honored him in front of his whole family. That, I mean, that story moved me. Because uh, that's not how most politicians I know work now. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't there and I didn't observe it, but this is the story from the, the, uh, the man's mouth. We need to have courage. Don't you love that picture? Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it, when it takes courage to deal with things. The courageous can accomplish the outrageous. Uh, 
And we need to remember that. Uh, it takes courage to be a leader. Leader means you're out in front. You're taking the shots. Uh, courage, lead, courageous leadership is contagious. No one follows the fearful. They are drawn to the daring. I, I tell my staff, it's not that we have ideas that are too big. It's we have ideas that are too small. People are going to follow the people with the big ideas and the ones that are out there willing to be courageous and make it happen and to, to step up and go where others may be afraid to go. No stress, no strain, no growth. To get leadership buff, you have to leave the heavy stuff. And that's true. Part of leadership is dealing with the interpersonal conflicts. It's dealing with the people that are upset with your mission organization. It's dealing with the tribal leaders. It's, it's the church leaders and all those things in a mission context where there may be conflicts. And, uh, and it's hard work. It's lifting the heavy stuff. But leaders are willing to do it. Another component of leadership is vision. Visionary leaders have over-the-horizon radar. They predict what others think is unpredictable. Leaders have to be looking ahead. They have to be anticipating what is coming and try to stay out in front of the curve. Your job as a leader is to communicate such a compelling vision that it is a magnetic force attracting others to join your cause. When I came to CMDA and the board was saying, you know, we're badly in need of a renaissance, and, you know, I started thinking, what is the vision? I remember we, we had a tagline, a fellowship of Christian doctors, and I go, you know, that doesn't really want, make me want to go take the fortress and batter down the gates, you know. Let's get together in the holy huddle and just have a good time together. And, uh, you know, and, and that vision statement began to morph, and now it's transformed doctors transforming the world. Wow, that's big. That's big. Uh, you've got to have a vision that you can communicate. When I was a missionary doctor and, and was put in charge of the hospital, I came in and said, we're going to be the best mission hospital in Africa. We're going, and, you know, we weren't. We were far from it. And, but it kept saying that, casting out that vision, and you're going to be part of this. And we are, they're going to, people are going to be looking to us as an example of how missionary work should be done, the quality of our health care, the type of evangelism we do. Most people are more emotional than rational, connect to the heart more than the head. And that's true. We do not get motivated from facts very much. What we get motivated is when you grasp people's hearts, and uh, that's part of good communication, which is another topic. If you push people too hard, you'll run right over them. But they will thrive if you get out in front and pull them with your example, your charisma, and your vision. People love to follow good leaders. And you have to stay out in front of them and do, as we've talked about, the difficult stuff. Your vision for the future should always be larger than your best memory of the past. You ever been part of an organization where they're always talking about the good old days? It gets pretty stale pretty quickly, doesn't it? Oh, when so-and-so was here, it was just one. And I remember the day. I mean, we need to learn from our past and, 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 and thank God for what he did. But this is a new day. This is the fresh wine. And, uh, and a vision should be looking forward. Values, another very important component. Your values are more important than your vision. One delineates where you want to go. The other defines what you'll be when you get there. If you're leading an organization, a group of people, your values have to be clear. 
And everybody knows how we're going to act. If you come to CMDA, you'll see our value statement posted around in the break rooms. And uh, four of them are about our relationship with God and four of them are about our relationship with each other. And that's the standard that new employees, we hold before them. This is how we act. This is what we do. This is how we function together as we go out and work to change health care and transform doctors. And so having clear values that are stated uh, are, are very important. Form and finalize your core leadership values in advance so there will be no chance you'll rationalize or compromise your stance in a moment of weakness or stress. I remember as a missionary, I talked yesterday about some of the bioethical issues. And, you know, we got drugs sitting down at the port, and they're wanting a bribe, and we need the drugs for patients. What are we going to do? And it's easy to come and say, well, you know, it's really important that we take care of these patients and ruin our testimony by giving somebody a bribe under the table. And so you set those things in stone and say, these are things we do not do as an organization. We'll pray. God will move in their hearts. We'll go and talk to these people. We'll do everything we can to get that out. But we are not going to compromise our values. Never sacrifice fundamental beliefs or core values as you adjust to an ever-changing external factors. The world is constantly changing, more change than ever before. And uh, it's important to keep your values constant. Verbalize your leadership values and then validate them by living them out. As a leader, you have to look and be to people what you're saying you want them to be. There's nothing worse than a hypocrite. And uh, it's especially true in leadership. And those closest to you will see it. We're going to treat each other kindly. We're going to teach each other like Christ. And you're losing your temper, bawling people out, getting upset, making uh, snide remarks, uh, you know. All that won't mean anything. Motivation. Motivate, train, and equip, lead to help others succeed. Reinforce each team member's identity and uniqueness, knowing you are significant. Uh, Knowing that you are significant motivates extraordinary performance. You know, when you think about leaders and good Christian leaders, you need to realize in your leadership position, in missions or wherever it may be, that God has entrusted to you a group of people that you're going to have enormous influence over because you're going to spend most of your time with them. Every working day you're with these people. And, uh, and they need to not only understand that you're their leader, they need to understand that God has placed them into this place and that you're going to nurture them and help them to become all that God has designed them to be. You have a trust from God himself for these individuals. And if you look at your employees that way, if you're in practice now, or your classmates, or your mission situation, and realize that this is a, a trust from God that these people are working with you and in your presence, it changes your attitude toward them. People will really work for what they really want. Find out what motivates them. I do this a lot in public policy. You always want to start where people are something they already value, something they already think is important, and then working from that, taking them where they need to be. And it's the same true in the workplace. People really work for what they really want. Find out what motivates them. And uh, we could talk a whole talk on motivation. Use non-threatening comparison to motivate people to change. Most people want to be near the head of the pack. When I was here in medical school in Louisville, uh, they posted our grades by number. Each of us had a number in the class, and once we had an exam, they put up a piece of paper, and there was, you know, number 79, got a 92 on, on, the, on the test. 
So I go and look and see what my grade was. What was the second thing I did? What everybody else's grade was. I mean, was that 92 the best in the class, the worst in the class? I mean, what was it? That is the normal tendency that people have. When I was doing community health work, and we were talking about how do we motivate people to health change, how do we motivate our health helpers, one of the things we did was exactly this. We created a newspaper, and every month we we reported in the newspaper everybody's work outputs. How many homes do they visit? How many new latrines do they get? How many people do they share the gospel with? We didn't hit them over the head with it. We just put it in the newspaper. Everybody could say, wow, so-and-so over there is really working hard. I guess I better do better next month. It was non-threatening comparison, giving people an opportunity as I led them to know how they fit in. And uh, we did a lot of other things as well. Worry. One of the big problems in leadership is you feel like you've got all the worries on you. And the Bible says no. Be anxious in nothing. A worried leader is a whirlpool that drags everyone into a vortex. Fight worry by seeking God's guidance, following his principles, doing your best, and leaving the results in his hands. Last uh, week I testified before Congress. I probably had 50 people walk up to me this weekend. How did it go last week? You know, because most people haven't testified before Congress. And, you know, I just said, God gave me this opportunity. I trusted him, and he was there. Uh, worrying about it is not going to change it. That means I didn't prepare well. I know I prepared very well. Uh, But if you sit around and worry, people can sense that very quickly. Don't worry about winning every battle in the public square. Do what's right and then relax. If you've been faithful, there's no need to be fearful. Is God God? And uh, we need to remember that. Be a living sacrifice. If personal sacrifice is needed, real leaders go to the front of the line. We had some financial problems in CMDA two or three years ago, and we ended up having to cut staff salaries by 10%. We had to let some folks go. And when we went through that process, and it wasn't fun, and I had to lead through it and some of the other leaders in the organization, the first thing we did was cut our own salaries before we asked anyone else. Because if you're a real leader, you're at the front. I've had times in the past where the board has come and say, Dave, we want to give you a raise. I'll say, sorry, I can't take it because I cannot do something of that same percentage for my staff. And if they're not going to be able to benefit, then I'm not going to benefit. Um, Those type of things, and I don't say that to glorify me. I'm just talking about the principles I think God has put in place for leaders Successful people have sacrificed and suffered along the journey to greatness. The person that should sacrifice the most is the leader. That's not how the world sees it. Now I'm successful. I get all these perks. But um, people see that very very quickly. It's financially difficult times. First sacrifice before expecting it of others. Let's talk about criticism. Criticism is the sales tax on success. The more you succeed, the more you can expect to be taxed. Very true. I tell folks, if, if, uh, if you know, you're going to be criticized if you do nothing, and you're going to be criticized if you do something, just expect it. That's the way people are. And if you're going to try to please everybody, you're not going to be a very good leader. Always explore a criticism before you ignore a criticism. Investigate it before you ignore it. So I'm not saying, well, just ignore all the criticism out there and go do what you think's best. No. Sometimes people have criticism that is very constructive, and you need to know it. But, uh, but at the same time, 
There's a lot of it that you need to just let go off your back. In fact, I think good leaders are like ducks. Sometimes they just know you just got to let the water roll off your back. And criticism goes with the territory. Godly, constructive criticism is designed to be instructive, not destructive. One of your jobs as a leader is to criticize other people. And you can do it well, or you can do it destructively. So how do you build people up? How do you, when they walk out of there? I learned a secret when I was a missionary on how to fire people. Anybody had to fire someone? Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? And you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go to work today. I've got to fire so-and-so. Let me give you a tip on firing people. Anybody want to know how to fire someone? I learned this in Africa, and I had to deal with it with some of the staff. When I had to fire somebody, I'd call them in, and I'd look at them and say, you know, I've made a terrible mistake, and I want to apologize to you. I ask you to do a job you couldn't do. And I know that's been difficult for you, and it's been difficult for us. But now we're going to have to end this relationship. I apologize for that because I made the mistake. And I did. Maybe they had the skills, but they didn't have the motivation. I should have seen that before I hired them. I've asked them to do a job that they can't do. And approaching that way, I've had people walk out and say, Dr. Stevens, thank you so much. I've just fired them. But I have not destroyed them. And even taken that opportunity to be constructive in their lives to say, you know, and deal with some of the issues. Become a fam and a good planning. A great leader creates a plan, communicates the plan, and adapts and adjusts the plan until success is realized. Uh, you know, you ever play darts? Do you always hit the bullseye every time? No. The more you practice, the more you plan, the better you get. And it's true. And you need to realize that whatever you do, that there are always going to be mid-course adjustments. Planning for critical progress is often upended by urgency of daily deadlines, and that's one of the problems we all face. I've got this report. I've got to go speak here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And you're so busy taking care of things today and this week that you're not thinking here down the road, and leaders have to avoid that and have some time. With all work and no play, your team won't bond no matter what you say. Look at that. Tour's going by. Uh, work hard. Play hard. Celebrate something together. One of the big secrets at... Um, CMDA, is we work really hard at having fun. We work extremely hard, but we have fun. And we schedule it. We support it financially. We turn our staff loose to do it. Uh, Boss's Day, last month, I woke up, and Jody didn't want me to leave the house. And I said, what's going on? She said, you just need to stay here. A few minutes later, one of the staff drove up driving a Cadillac wearing white gloves, black suit, bow tie, and they picked me up, picked Jean up, went over to the office, they put his house slippers on us, they, they had uh, bathrobes, they uh, served us a scone and tea, and then they gave us the morning newspaper. The morning newspaper was one that they'd gone down to the newspaper office and had printed, and all the articles on the front and back page were about us. <laughs> and that was just the beginning of the day. Last year, they did the 9 to 5 thing, and the day ended up us being kidnapped, blindfolded, tied in Ethernet cords, and stopped by the police going down the highway. <laughs> we, we, we go wild having fun because we work so extremely hard. It builds community. It builds family. Uh, I'm often in the middle of it. I'm often the object of it. Uh, and that's good. That's the way it should be. You should be able to laugh at your boss. 
and laugh at your leader and have fun with them. And we have legendary parties. We have this secret area on our website where we keep all the pictures from all the parties. I remember one, at Christmas we always play some sort of TV game, and we played Hollywood Squares one year, and they handed a bag to nine people and asked them to leave, and you walked out, and in the bag was your costume. I came back in as Elvis with the cape, the whole bit, and you had to be in character. We did Hollywood Squares. It, it was just, just fun, things that people can enjoy. And, and, and not just let's get to the place, but how are we going to act as we get there? How are we going to be, have fun as we do it? If you let your staff laugh at you by being in the middle of the fun, they will follow you anywhere. No matter how successful you are, the only thing you will take to heaven with you are other people. And that's an important thing to remember because you can get so focused as a leader in getting things done, accomplishing goals, that you forget the thing that really matters is the people you're influencing. If you get too busy as a leader to be a godly influence into your staff and into those that you're ministering to's lives, you're failing as a leader. If you don't read, you're unlikely to succeed. You're either getting smarter or you're getading dumber. And that's very true in, in this world. I, I was thinking back as I was putting this together. I learned to got my ham radio license because we needed a better way to communicate back to the states when I went to the mission field. Language study. I wrote my first grant proposal during language school because they had a need. I'd never done it before in my life. We got a $150,000 grant from a two-page letter I wrote. I knew nothing about writing grants. And I remember thinking afterwards, this has got to be easier than deputation. And, uh, and, and that's how we begin to fund a lot of the hospital grant proposals and brought the first computers in and learned about them. I learned how to do programming so we could actually calculate our bills at the hospital and keep our inventory and things back in the 80s that weren't done. I learned to drive a bulldozer when we were building the hydroelectric plant and unloading pin stocks and stuff. Uh, because some of the construction guys were gone, or governance, administration. All these things, you know, you have to learn when you get to the mission field. Lots of medicine and things I'd never seen. Uh, a um, leech on the eyeball. I didn't cover that in ophthalmology. I didn't know how to handle that. And some of the stuff we were doing in OB and a lot of orthopedics and community health and all sorts of things. And you've got to remember this. If you can't do something superbly, it's do it unremarkably until you get better at it. Experts were not born that way. Okay, we, we have this tendency to think, I can't do that. I don't know anything about it. Well, on the mission situation, often you're the, one that, the only one that can learn about it. So as a leader, you have to get in there and learn what needs to be learned. Productive leaders grow on purpose, making growth a matter of choice, not a matter of chance. Leaders are never contented with the present state of affairs. We've talked about that. Then find a mentor. You want to find godly leaders that you can model yourself after. No internship or residency will prepare you for the mission field. You need to spend time with role models. More is caught than taught. And you learn and apply and fail and succeed. And Ernie was my mentor. I've talked about him many times. But mentoring takes no great skill. It just takes multiple moments of spending time together. It's letting people see and live with you. And then develop leaders. It is the only legacy that will outlive you. Reproduction provides the greatest satisfaction. I was back to Tinwick this summer, and some of the guys that I mentored in community health work, and now they're, you know, one of them's a, a, a district leader in the church, and others a chief in his community. Uh, just seeing how the leadership that we taught has now made them leaders on themselves. And we'll finish with this: leadership. Know where you want to go. Figure out how to get there. Take others with you. 
I encourage you to pursue leadership because that's how God wants to use you. Questions, comments, we've got a few minutes. Could you make some comment about your testimony before Congress? Yes, a testimony before Congress. Uh, testimony before Congress is a lot of political theater, and um, you come in and there's five-minute presentations from each of the people giving testimony. Then there's the cross-examination. The majority party starts, they have five minutes, and then they go to the senior person on the minority party, and they go back and forth, and for two hours you're cross-examined and uh, ask questions, and some of it gets pretty ridiculous. Some of the people on the other side would say, Dr. Stevens, answer this question now. Just say yes or no. We don't want you anything, nothing but yes or no. And then they try to trap you with some questions, so that kind of stuff's going on. But you had an opportunity. The big thing that happened there on conscience rights, which is very concerning to me, they said organizations do not have conscience. You know what I responded? I said, yes, we have good examples of that when they don't. It's called Enron. Um, the Democratic Party has values, the Republican Party has values, organizations have values, and if we don't have conscience in our organizations, this is going to be a very scary place to live. So, yeah, God was helpful. For those of you who were praying for me last week, I sure appreciate it. Any other questions or comments? Yes, back here. Um, not directly relating with leadership but authority, you're probably aware that there's a lot of research that says people who rise to positions of authority are often for a reason that have nothing to do with their abilities. It's are you are you speaking personally to me or yeah i think I think you know and often it's the leaders that decide who the leaders are. And you talk about a board of governors or something, uh, trustees that pick a leader. And I think, uh, you know, I serve on the, on the board of a couple organizations and, and I'm chair of the governance committee, which helps select trustees. And so one of the things that you have to do is make sure you're selecting the type of leaders at the trustee level that are going to pick the proper type of leader for the organization. Uh, sometimes we have very little input to who our leaders are going to be. But I think in Christian organizations, if we value God-like Christ-like leadership qualities and hold that up as the example and then come with a servant leader's heart, uh, we can bring influence into those situations. But I agree with you. In secular situations in particular, many of those characteristics you talk about are the ones, and I know some of you work in those areas where you're stuck with leaders. That's a whole other talk on how you deal with ungodly leaders in the workplace because uh, it's a tremendous challenge. We're going to the plenary. I'll be here if there are any questions for a few minutes. God bless.